Virtual Recollection. I am your host, Janessa. If you were to ask someone to describe what life is about, how do you think they would answer? There are words I would put money on most people using, love, growth, exploration, to name a few, but one answer you'll probably get, although it's likely to be a less popular one, is a loss. Much of life is about losing people, places, and things. Loss is a difficult and sad, but natural thing. Sometimes you don't see it coming, hits you out of left field, but sometimes it's deliberate because in order to pick something up, you have to set another thing down. On this episode, we have three stories, all having to do with different kinds of loss. For the first story of our show, Jason talks about how, even in a virtual world, there's no teacher-like experience, and some lessons only need to be learned once. One of the first games I ever really played and got truly addicted to was Ultima Online. And, uh, you know, if you're a gamer, you've probably heard of Ultima. There was a, a long series of it. And this was really the first MMORPG that caught wind and actually had more people playing it than just a handful of nerds. Uh, prior to that, you know, there were some MMOs that were all text-based, but UO was graphic. Uh, you know, it was a top-down view. It was animated, kind of. It, it wasn't anything fancy-looking, but at the time, it was awesome. And uh, it came out in 98, and I, how old was I? I think I was 12 when I started playing it. And Ultima Online was kind of like the frontier of online MMO games. There, it was, there was, it was pretty crazy. There was a lot you could do in it, but it was almost like the Wild West in the sense that if you wanted to be a murderer, you could be. If you wanted to be a thief, you could be. And you were just playing against other people. So people who were likely a little bit older and more versed in gaming were able to take advantage of 12-year-old nerds like me. <laughs> so <laughs> UO was, was my first real experience with griefing. Uh, I don't even think griefing was a term until Ultima Online, at least if it was, I had never heard of it. It was also my, my first experience learning that the world is not always fair. What does griefing mean? So griefing is basically a term for people, usually, I'm assuming it applies to only gaming, it might apply to other things, but it's really people just trying to make others' lives miserable. Sometimes it can be lighthearted, but most of the time it's to be a dick. To be honest. So it's like bullying, basically. It's, it's online bullying, uh, usually in the context of a game. So an example of griefing would be if you're a max level player and you see a newbie, killing them over and over and just hanging out by them, following them around, not letting them play the game. Oh, so that's you're, so mean. Yeah, it, it's it's not fun. And, you know, you could come up with a whole bunch of different reasons why people might do this. I, I toyed with it a little bit after I, I got my feet wet in gaming, and then I was like, well, that's not really for me. That's just mean. Uh, but yeah, Ultima Online exposed me to the raw world of humanism, and or humans, not humanism, really, <laughs> and how awful and cool humans could be at the same time. Let's start with the awful story. What was What is the your like go-to? This is how I realized that humans can be terrible in gaming. Yeah, definitely. This was kind of like my coming of age. Uh, and I've been a gamer my whole life, still am. Um, this was just, it really stands out in my in my memory. I don't know how many years later, uh, 18 years later. So I was very new to Ultima Online. I, I think I, I got it like the week it came out. And this was probably a few months into it. I was 12. I didn't really know what I was doing. It's kind of a confusing game anyway. And there I was. I, I was just a, a novice warrior. I had like a sword and a chainmail tunic. I remember that specifically. Had like no money to my name. I didn't really understand the mechanics of the game. And I was in one of the major cities, Britain. And it's it's one of the largest cities in the game. And I was towards the outskirts of it, but I wasn't quite outside the city. And uh, 
my 12 year old mind is, you know, having fun. And then I see this guy, he's kind of, uh, just one screen over and he's standing there and he looks kind of powerful, but also more powerful than me, but, but not, not like max level by any means. And next to him is a boar, like a, a wild pig from what I thought. And it's, uh, the default animation of, of the boar I come to realize is that it's probably munching on grass or something. And so in doing so, it's shaking its head a little bit. And 12-year-old me being the awesome warrior and uh, adventurer that I was, I thought this boar was attacking the guy. So I typed out in uh, poor grammar, no capitalizations, like something like, I don't know, hey, do you need help? Is that is that pig attacking you? Let me save you. <laughs> He's like, yeah, help me. So uh, I charge in. I start attacking the pig. And then I instantly get killed. And the way Ultima Online had its rules is if you were in town, towns had guards. And if you perform a criminal action, someone can call the guards on you and get you instantly killed. It was a way to protect people if they had their money on them or or whatever, because it's a city. Apparently, this guy had actually tamed the pig. So it was his pet. I couldn't tell. I didn't really know how to tell the difference. And I thought the pig was attacking it, but it was just standing there eating grass. Um, So as far as the game was concerned... I attacked this poor innocent pig, and uh, I got what was coming to me, which was instant death. And the uh, the frontier part of Ultima Online really is, uh, like I said, you know that there weren't very many rules. If I, I was more than welcome welcome to attack that guy and attack his pig if I wanted to risk it, meaning at the time when I, I did this criminal act, it flagged me as a criminal. When I, when you die in Ultima Online, people can take your body they can take the stuff on your body so this guy essentially tricked me into attacking him so he could loot my body and take my sword and my chainmail tunic and when you die in uo you spawn as a ghost and you have to run back to where you were so naked naked jason is running running back to where i died and then um my corpse which used to be wearing a chainmail tunic was also naked so there was a naked version of me looking at my naked body and the guy was there laughing and he was you know like ha 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 lol noob and um he had taken my freaking chainmail tunic, and that thing's worth like 200 gold. Now, you start the game with 100 gold, so it really wasn't valuable. But in my mind, I thought it was you know the coolest piece of armor possible, and I thought I, I had worked a month to get it, which I had because I sucked at the game. Long story short, he didn't give me my chainmail tunic back. That freaking pig followed him around, tricking other people probably. He had no use for the chainmail tunic. He was more powerful than me. That's like two minutes of gaming if you know what you're doing. And I had to figure out like how I was going to cope with this. Um, first, I, I remember crying, actually, in real life. Freaking took my chainmail tunic. How else am I going to play this game? I quit, and I just rage quit from the game. I, I stopped playing for about two days straight. But the game was fun, so I you know, wanted to log on again with my naked guy. And <laughs> I figured out how to come back from it. So I, I really had to learn that the world's not fair, and that this guy had no use for taking my stuff, but he did anyway because he could. And it, it sucked, but I eventually got good at the game and ended up becoming what we called in Ultima Online an anti-PK. And PK was short for player killer. So there were people who would, you know, grief crap your players and kill them and stuff. And if you killed enough of them, you'd become a murderer. So your name was in red. A few people like myself who got good at the game would hunt down the murderer. So it was like this big ecosystem. And it was all because that guy took my chainmail tunic. Oh, my God. In a way, you're kind of like the Batman of Ultima Online. <laughs> the Batman. I remember my <laughs> character's name was Dragon Magic. So uh, <laughs> it's an awful name. Only a 12-year-old could come up with it. <laughs> Thank you.
Sometimes the connections we have to a game is through another person. But what happens when that person is gone? For Veronica, the bonds forged in a childhood friendship withstand time and life itself. Here's her story. Before my parents got divorced, I was a pretty happy kid who had an easy time making friends. When my mom picked my brother and I up and moved us to a new house away from our dad, I became a completely different kid. All of the anxiety that I still live with today generated from that point in time. We moved in the middle of the school year when I was in fifth grade, which made for a really awkward transition. I went from knowing everyone for years to knowing no one and entering into a new place where all these kids had probably known each other for years and I was the outsider. One of the few people who welcomed me with open arms and no questions asked was Chelsea, the girl who lived two houses down from our new home. In this new world where I felt like a total loser to everybody else, Chelsea was a breath of fresh air that held no judgment towards me. The thing that bonded us the most, though, was our mutual love of Japan. We both adored the cartoon Sailor Moon and would watch it constantly. One day when we were in sixth or seventh grade, I went over to her house and Chelsea pulled out this new game for us to play called Mystical Ninja Starring Goemon. For those not familiar, Mystical Ninja Starring Goemon was actually the fifth entry in the Ganbari Goemon series of video games in Japan, but it was only the second one to cross over to the States. In the game, players control one of four different characters as they travel through feudal Japan. It's been a while since I've played it, so this might not be accurate, but to me, it felt like playing a Japanese version of Legend of Zelda, which is my favorite video game series. Chelsea and I spent our whole summer that year trying to beat this game. I would go over to her house, and we'd dress up in kimonos, make dumplings, and put in Mystical Ninja, and try to beat a castle or two, and then we would spend the rest of our time dancing around to the soundtrack of the video game. We used to always get stuck during the sequences where you had to play as Goemon's robot friend Impact, which is like the silliest thing to say out loud. Like, what kind of crazy game was this that like, all of a sudden there's this cutscene and there's like this huge musical introduction and it's like, Gunbare-san, Gunbare. Like, I can remember that. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. But we would die every single time, and I just remember shouting at the screen every single time we died because we would get, like, so close to winning, and it just, no, no, we didn't win. As the summer came to a close, so did our friendship to an extent. Chelsea had a magnetic personality, and she kind of liked to hang out with the wilder kids. And I had been instilled with too much of a goody-two-shoes, Mary Sue sort of personality, so we grew apart, and eventually I moved away again. We never did end up finishing Mystical Ninja, for years, beating that game was my white whale. I think when our friendship ended, we were on like the final castle and there was just like this space where you had to be able to do this special like high jump technique to get to like the final boss. And neither of us had mastered the like whatever complex uh, controller thing that you had to do to do it. And so like having gotten so close to beating it and not getting there was like the most frustrating thing ever to like our friendship had ended. I didn't have the game anymore and we were so close to beating it. I searched forever to find a copy that I could purchase that didn't cost like a hundred dollars and I never bought it for myself. But I do remember putting that game on my Christmas list every year from ages like 12 to 18. Uh, and I think for my 19th birthday, one of my other best friends, Amber, bought me the game. And I don't know if she ever knew the whole story about why I wanted the game so much. Ironically, Amber was the other friend I made in fifth grade. She was in my class and also loved Sailor Moon and Japanese anime. 
Uh, I had tried to, a couple of times to hang out with Amber and Chelsea as a group. I mean, we had so much in common. Why wouldn't we all be friends? I've done this several times in my life, and it hasn't worked out. And it never really clicked, obviously. So for whatever reason, Chelsea and Amber didn't really like each other, so I kept our friendship separate. And then where Chelsea's friendship faded upon moving, my friendship with Amber actually grew stronger and maintained over the years. So I was pretty touched when she bought me Mystical Ninja as a gift when it had been one of the things that had bonded me so much with someone she disliked a lot. The story ends on a pretty sad note, though. I never did end up beating Mystical Ninja after regaining possession of it. Life got in the way of wanting to play video games around that time in my life, and I always had a reason or an excuse, like, oh, you know, I'll play it later. I have it now, so I don't really need to hurry. Uh, I'm more interested in boys than I am in video games, things like that. And a few years ago, I actually reconnected with Chelsea after finding her on Facebook. We talked a few times about where our lives had gone and what we were up to. And then one day, a few months later, I saw a post on her wall that said something like, Chelsea will be cremated, she would like a life celebration, etc. She was only 24 years old. And it hit me pretty hard, despite having not been close since we were kids. And I've avoided trying to play the game since then, because my memories of Chelsea are tied pretty closely to the game. Maybe that's a silly reason to avoid playing a game because wouldn't that be me celebrating her life? Um, I don't know, but maybe one day I will plug in my old N64, try to beat it. who identify as gamers have been playing for almost as long as we've been living. Personally, some of my earliest memories of existence are intertwined with Kirby's adventure on the Nintendo. But we grow up, as we do, and sometimes the games don't grow with us. Here's John's story. I first played Final Fantasy VI when I was really young. And I remember my friend opened it, uh, he got it for his birthday, and I remember yelling, I was so excited, and I didn't know what it was. I was just yelling, because kids do that. But yeah, no, we went down and popped it in, and it, it blew me away. I mean, that opening with the Magitek armored soldiers walking across the snowy landscape that was like Mode 7 graphics or whatever they are. You go back and look at that now, and it's it's hilarious, but at the time it was like, this is 3D. The future's here. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and playing it, the story was totally vivid, and the characters were were real and, and, and sort of, in a way, they took on a life of their own. And so I, I wonder if maybe the thing that I'm missing, or that I felt like I was missing when I revisited it later, I, I, I sort of sometimes wonder whether that was a construct of having remembered it so many times, of having like had fond memories of it over and over again, and the thing taking on a life of its own. Or um, if just maybe as a kid, things can be simpler and feel bigger, that they can, they can take on their sort of own agency without needing as much filling them out. If that's the case, then it's a failure of imagination for me right now, and there's something really sad about that too. That's interesting. I, it, what immediately remind, that reminds me of is when I was a kid, I used to get so excited about something, I couldn't go to sleep at night because I was yeah. so excited. And some of these things were as simple as going to the laser tag place with my cousins would keep me up at night. Yeah. Well, now something like that doesn't necessarily keep me up at night anymore. 
but that's immediately kind of what I thought of. No, it's definitely true. I I I think that something there's something really special as a kid about looking forward to something. There's something weird in your relationship with with things that are going to happen in the future that they they just seem amazing and 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 maybe that maybe that is it. Maybe I was expecting sort of this sense of of revisiting something and that it would it would be that big again. You know, there there are moments in that game that I remember being really impactful as a kid. So there's this there's this point after uh, you're in the town of Zozo, and you have just gotten your first espers. So you have unlocked this whole magic system uh, that you only had a few characters that had sort of partial access to before. And you're walking down the big building in the town, and the characters are all interacting with each other. And so it's these little vignettes of pairs of characters talking. And my recollection of that scene in the game might as well have been Technicolor, right? Like, these were conversations that were actually happening. Uh, And then I went and played through that section, and the dialogue was ham-handed, right? Like, it was pretty, pretty flat, and, like, I could sort of see what they were going for a little bit, and that maybe took away some of the magic. Yeah, that was probably the, the, the biggest difference for me, was, was just how real the interactions were. I have played through a lot of RPGs, and, and Final Fantasy VI has, has held up as my favorite of them, but yeah, I don't know that it's the best, right? And there's a difference there. I tried to rewatch Seinfeld, recently and uh that show's brilliant right like it's it's brilliantly written it's brilliantly acted and and it was completely unwatchable because the pacing was so slow like when you come from shows like community or or parks and rec and you try and go back and watch seinfeld with its laugh track and like the real setup and knockdown kind of gags yeah and and it almost feels like maybe the same thing right like like older games just had a simpler a simpler sort of relationship with the player that was that newer games try and add more nuance. Yeah. They're more like benchmarks in a way, not only in video games, but in your life. Yeah, no, I... I, That definitely marks a period of my life, right? Mm -hmm. I I remember... I remember being in my friend's basement. I remember those two friends that I had at the time who I haven't talked to in 15, 20 years, like... And it's totally vivid. And, And the moment I remember in particular is leaving a long section of the game and flying, up, finally getting the airship and like flying off and landing on this tiny little island that was on the world map. And I was like, oh, this will be interesting. And I go and I walk around and it's, um, it's an island where these invisible creatures called Intangir are and they cast Meteor. And you, you're nowhere near ready to handle that as your party. So I wiped and lost probably like two or three hours of game time which is huge at that age, right? Right. It might as well be a lifetime. Yeah, yeah. And that was such a visceral experience that is, like, indelibly marked in my memory. Yeah, benchmarks is a, is a really interesting word. It was definitely a point in time that uh, that I don't know that I'll ever forget. But it makes me wonder, too, if my recollection of the game was so different, was my recollection of that moment different, too, right? Like, have I... Have I built that up, you know, to be something that it wasn't? 
All through college, I worked at a local video game store, and one of the things that I would hear so many people say to me over and over again was, I used to love this game so much when I was a kid, but when I went back to play it, it was very different from my memory. It was kind of sad. I watched a lot of people recall the exact moment they had to accept that part of their childhood was gone. I guess there is something about that. There's something about um, the unreliability of memory that to me is really poignant, right? When you said, when you mentioned loss, uh, that you're looking for stories of that, that was sort of what immediately sprung to mind was, was just that my recollection of that game was so different than what it turned out to actually be. Yeah, that it that there are definitely pangs of loss in that feeling. Our opening music on today's show was composed by Matt Hunter, also known as Mechlo. That's spelled M-E-C-H-L-O. You can find his music at mechlo.bandcamp.com and at soundcloud.com slash mechlo. All other songs today were composed by Lifeformed. You can find their music at lifeformed.bandcamp.com. Don't worry, all of these links will be in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe to our channel to hear more. You can find us on Podbean at nocontinuescast.podbean.com or at our fancy new website at nocontinuesmedia.net. Until next time, I'm Janessa, and this was Virtual Recollection. <laughs>